Hello, it is Thursday the 21st of May. Thank you for listening to The Briefing. If it's your first time, this is a daily news podcast where we give you the headlines and go deep on one topic. And today, part two of our look at the 5G coronavirus conspiracies. Today, we're going to find out why, despite the science... They're spreading so far. The study came out of the States and it said there's these YouTube algorithms that literally, if you type on one conspiracy theory, they're going to keep popping up. It's never been easier to get into it. That story in just a moment. Right now, I'm joined by Jan Fran. Hello, Jan. Good morning, Thomas. Did you miss me? <laughs> <laughs> Am I your favourite co-host? <laughs> oh, wow. That's really sowing some some dangerous <laughs> ideas there. Um, I more- just thought I'd put you on the spot this <laughs> early in the morning, you know. Almost more dangerous than a 5G conspiracy theory. Um, Not quite. They're pretty dangerous from what I understand. Amazing how many people believe them. And um, we'll get to that in a moment. First, what else is making news today? We're going to start with some good news for casuals who work regular shifts this morning. The federal court ruling that they are entitled to ask for paid leave. And this could actually mean that they might be owed billions of dollars of leave in back pay, potentially. Yeah, the court ruled that casuals who'd work consistent, predictable hours should be given things like sick leave and annual leave, even though they'd also been getting 25% loading. Yeah, so this is why Attorney General Christian Porter isn't too happy with this. So he essentially believes that this is double dipping because casuals are already paid more to compensate for not having paid leave. Now, he notes the timing of this is not great, obviously, given the devastating impacts for Aussie businesses that the coronavirus has had. Uh, And he says that he's considering making changes to the Fair Work Act that would stop casuals from being able to do that. But the secretary of the ACTU um, says it should be a wake-up call for bosses to stop hiring casuals for roles that should be filled by permanent workers. And data shows that there's around 1.6 million Australians employed casually on an ongoing basis, and many of them are in the hospitality, retail and healthcare sectors. A lot of Australians there. If you're a boss and you're thinking, well, why would I pay someone 25% loading if I've got to pay them annual leave? then that would incentivize that boss to actually make them a permanent. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the, the objectives, is it not? I think so. Australia's received another public insult from China. China's state-owned newspaper, The Global Times, has published a long editorial labelling Australia the giant kangaroo that serves as a dog of the US. Oh, they've called us some names, haven't they? I think the last time they, they called us a good one was they called us the gum stuck at the bottom of China's shoe. Yeah, that sometimes you need to knock off. Um, I don't mind being called a giant kangaroo, though. No, look, that's quite pleasant, actually. A dog? Not so much. (laughs) Not so much, yeah. Look, earlier this week, the World Health Assembly agreed to an inquiry into the coronavirus. This was something that Australia was one of the first countries to call for. But China's embassy said that claiming that the move vindicates our push was actually nothing but a joke because the motion passed is very different to the one that we actually wanted. Trade Minister Simon Birmingham's calling on Beijing to clarify reports it's preparing a blacklist of other Australian exports to ban. They've already put a tariff on our barley and ban exports from four abattoirs. And American news agency Bloomberg says wine, seafood, oats, fruit and dairy could be next. Queensland health authorities say a woman who's just been diagnosed with coronavirus after recently developing mild respiratory symptoms most likely caught it in India two months ago. We'll now have to do a lot of work to work through that, some additional testing, and also we'll have to talk to her and look at contact tracing. 
That was Queensland's Chief Health Officer, Jeanette Young. And it does seem like a really bizarre case when you consider the official medical advice is that mild symptoms usually resolve within a few days. Yeah, the Brisbane woman, she was in her 70s and she went into the mandatory 14-day quarantine when she returned to Australia in March. And now she's back in ISO after testing positive, which I think just really brings home the importance of contact tracing and how you actually do that for someone for two months. If she's been walking around without symptoms for two months and carrying the virus, she would have come in contact with a lot of people, which is pretty concerning. The only little ray of light there is that it's another case that came from overseas rather than an unknown community transmission, although she may have caused a few. Yeah, I think so. Well, it, it just, again, it's it's we're still in the learning phase of really understanding True. how this virus works as well, which I think this is a case that demonstrates that. All right, let's go to a heartwarming story about a World War II veteran, the Queen, a hit song and a garden. Yes, I love this. Uh, 99-year-old Captain Tom Moore, um, this guy became a global inspo hashtag global inspo, last month when he announced his plan to walk 100 laps of his garden to raise money for Britain's National Health Service, that's the NHS, um, which is under incredible pressure at the moment because of coronavirus. His original goal was to raise £1,000 and he ended up raising $33 million, which is almost $62 million Australian dollars. Holy Jesus. Bit of a Celeste Barber situation. Yeah, but even more than Celeste Barber it would turn out. Um, by the time he turned 100, he'd been made an honorary colonel and became the oldest person ever in the UK to top the music charts after he was recruited to be part of a video fundraiser duet of You'll Never Walk Alone. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. Oh, I love that song. I sang that once in a musical in high school. Did you? Am Carousel. I? Oh. Can I, I won't do it now. It's embarrassing to admit I don't actually know that song. You'll never don't sing it. <laughs> walk alone. No. All right, I'll stop there. Um, overnight, the, the Queen approved uh, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson's request to knight Tom Moore, making him Sir Thomas Moore. I love how much this guy has achieved in his 99th year of life. What a hero. Unfortunately, though, the ceremony will not be held for a while because of the pandemic, which has killed over 35,000 people in the UK. Although Boris Johnson does say that Sir Tom was a beacon of light through the fog. I do appreciate the, all the kind thoughts that so, so many people have made about my being knighted. I am absolutely thrilled by it. and never ever, as I said, never believed that would happen to me, but it has. Beautiful place to end our news headlines there, Jan. I'll catch you tomorrow. I'm now joined by Annika Smethurst. All right, it's time for part two of our briefing on the 5G corona conspiracy. Annika, we actually planned to cover this topic in one show, but there was so much detail to get through that we had to extend it into today's podcast. Yeah, the internet has been lighting up with theories in this time of fear. And in several countries, people have even been setting fire to 5G towers over concerns that it's spreading coronavirus. 
5G is a big concern for a lot of people. An essential poll released yesterday surveyed more than 1,000 Australians and found that one in five young people aged 18 to 34 believe 5G was spreading the coronavirus. And young people are far more likely to hold that view than older Australians responding to the survey. One in five young people, that was quite a surprising number. Yesterday we addressed the science of the 5G issue. We spoke to a leading electromagnetic bio-effects researcher on the risks posed by 5G radio waves. And here's what Professor Rodney Croft said about the coronavirus theory. Radio waves cannot carry COVID-19. They, they can't carry any viruses. It's just not how they work. So that's what Professor Croft said about the 5G corona conspiracy theory. But loads of people don't believe that. But they do worry about the general health risks posed by the rollout of this new network. Here's what Rodney Croft said about that. Here he was comparing 5G radio waves to microwaves. The issue is really to do with power. And microwave ovens have a really huge power, and that's why they're able to heat things a lot. Whereas something like a mobile phone, the maximum it can really heat you to is about 0.1 degree, which is very small compared to the normal fluctuations we have as we are even sitting on a couch. <laughs> we have our temperatures change a lot more than that. So in principle, it can um, cause a lot of heating, but there are uh, very strict guidelines. And certainly here in Australia, they're enforced uh, to ensure that the levels are actually very low and far too low to actually hurt you at all. So that was Professor Rodney Croft there. He's from the University of Wollongong and he was explaining why 5G radio waves actually operate within safe levels. But despite that advice from the overwhelming majority of scientists, the concern and conspiracies around 5G continue to get traction, even here in Australia, with so many people. So let's find out why and also how to engage with people that have these concerns. Dr Robin Caniford is from the University of Melbourne. He researches human behaviour. Robin, thanks for joining us. Why have the 5G concerns gained so much traction during this pandemic? There's a number of reasons we could pin this on, but the first one we need to consider is that very often with any new technology, people can express fear towards it. So in the 19th century, for example, there were people out there that thought going on the railway would rip your body to pieces. Wow. 5G is a little bit more complicated than that one. And yes, people have been fearful of, of uh, mobile phones. 4G, for example, uh, elicited similar responses from from some people but 5g seems to have kicked off in the imagination a little bit more and got into the realm of these what some people call conspiracy theories now i think that's a lot of it's down to a more generalized atmosphere of fear that people are experiencing at the moment for a number of reasons not least because of coronavirus and any time people are experiencing fears they will tend to rationalize so humans are designed with a fight or flight response, as, as most of us know. But we're also have a long history of, of making up stories. And theories are stories to try and simplify and make things understandable, not least those things that are worrying us. With coronavirus, with the advent of a new technology, for those people who are experiencing worries, it's perfectly normal that um, we should we should make up some stories to understand them. Now, where the problem comes in, at least um, for me, is firstly that the stories being made up uh, clearly aren't true, especially, you know, regards the link with mobile phone technologies causing coronavirus. 
That's clearly not true. And there's a problem here is it seems that people are preferring the simple explanations offered by conspiracy theorists over the more complex and often messy explanations given by science, because science is messy. Whenever you come up with a new theory to explain something, and we don't know very much about coronavirus, but whenever there's a new theory that comes from scientists, there's other scientists that are going to disagree with that theory. And it takes time to reach a consensus. And so sometimes I think people are preferring the simple explanations because science isn't quick enough. Wow. Secondly, I think there's a lack of trust in traditional institutions that once upon a time people regarded as, as working in their best interests. And this is certainly one of the key sort of tropes or examples that we find with conspiracy theories is they're suggesting that government institutions, science institutions, public health institutions, all of which should be working for us, are no longer doing so. And then I think the final thing that's really making this issue worse at the moment is the rapid spread of information and the manner in which certain sectors of the media have used these kinds of stories to push their own political agendas. And the point at which we see politicians turning to conspiracy theory and the editors of global news media supporting those theories and pushing them, I think that's when we've got real problems. So it kind of sounds like the perfect storm there, Robin, between people being quite fearful and also we have this culture of the moment where we don't trust institutions. Do you think this is something we're going to see more of in the future then, that more conspiracy theories and online ideas will flourish? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know whether we'll see more of it in the future, but unless governments and the institutions I mentioned, you know, scientific bodies, laboratories, um, public health organisations, uh, unless all of these institutions are able to operate with a degree of openness and transparency, I think we're pouring petrol on the fire of these alternative theories. Yeah, do you think our governments have been slow to respond to that changing culture of, of online scepticism and, and fear and distrust in our institutions? Because a parliamentary inquiry into 5G that came out in March found that we hadn't done enough to allay people's concerns and communicate properly. And, and often our response is, well, don't give them airtime you know, don't legitimise these concerns. But do we need a complete rethink on, on how we deal with this new worldview, this conspiratorial, sceptical worldview often driven by online communities? Yeah, I think that's a, a really important question. Until recently, these people commonly called conspiracy theorists in the media, in their own words, often they, they like to, they prefer the term truth seekers. There is a sense that, you know, they have been treated as whack jobs. In reality, many of these people are actually quite intelligent people like you or I. And the problem is, is, is by treating them as whack jobs, we've pushed something very real underground. And the more it is pushed underground, um, the more sort of rather like trying to squeeze a, a balloon uh, uh, with water or air in it in your, in your fist, it sort of pops out or maybe explodes and makes a mess. And I think that's, that's kind of what's going on. One of the most potent ways to ensure that a conspiracy theory will be spread further is to censor it or to in some way make people feel like they're not supposed to know it. 
because at that point they feel that you know that it, it is legitimizing it so you're quite right i think there needs to be you know study into this i think we need to take these ideas and certainly the way that they spread far more seriously and governments yeah are going to have to engage now fortunately i think in australia we've been very lucky perhaps after the the bushfires earlier in the year the government really you know were on point and i, I think they've responded reasonably well but without these these levels of transparency and openness I, I think you know the government, like the United Kingdom, is in is in big trouble because of these secret committees on which people don't know who who, who sits on that committee. People start asking those questions, they start feeling the fear, and they start making up stories. Robin, is one of the key issues here that science isn't ever exact. They're always looking for an answer, and there's always that little bit of gap between, I guess, the truth and, um, you know, finding an absolute fact. So because there's that little bit of gap, while that's how science works, it allows people going, well, if you don't know 100% where coronavirus started, then my theory has, you know, a legitimacy. Is that half the problem? I think it is. The philosopher and sociologist of science, Bruno Latour, talks about an idea that he calls trials of strength. So whenever a new scientific theory emerges, it, there is the necessity to, it's part of scientific method, you've got to test it and replicate it, see if you can do it again. And whenever there's one theory, there's always a slightly different theory that competes. And these two theories, they sort of enter this, this tug of war, one of them will eventually win. But even when a theory has become accepted by the mainstream scientific community, there'll be other people still testing it and seeing if they can pull it to pieces. And that takes time. Okay, so I think this, this idea that science takes time and is disputed within its own community, that can sort of, again, make things trickier in terms of communicating with the public because most people don't know how science works. And for those who are looking for alternative, quicker explanations, they are out there for them lurking on a web forum somewhere. Yeah, well, often the, the findings of these, you know, scientific studies, they're communicated in really coded language that you actually need a university degree to really understand. Yeah, I think, I think you're, you're quite right. Most people don't understand that, which is strange, really, because it, certainly in developed nations, um, we've never been so educated. Science is tricky because it doesn't, the facts don't speak for themselves scientists are like spokespeople for facts and as with any spokesperson scientists are also often political and you know so the facts can say different things so the way in which these papers are written is put forward as hard science but actually when it comes down to it you can turn that hard science into a bunch of different political messages right left or center Robin, it's a fascinating and evolving and sometimes confusing area, the rise of conspiracy theories, particularly when it comes to COVID-19, but also climate change. Um, great to unpack it with you. Thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. It's been my pleasure. That was Robin Canniford from the University of Melbourne. Annika, such a fascinating conversation, partly that the true nature of science uh, means it's open to doubt and new evidence and that the results 
are quite complex to understand and in a time of fear and distrust, people want simple answers and the internet continues to dish them up. Yeah, it really sounds like the perfect storm, doesn't it, Tom? We've got the idea that you can never get an exact science and these ideas are challengeable. Plus, you've got the internet, which has really risen and is in everybody's hands and pockets in the last few years. And you have people that are scared. We're in the middle of a pandemic. So it kind of makes sense as to why more people are holding things that we would usually regard as wacky ideas. Yeah, and the continued rise of these theories highlights, I think, the need to deal with these concerns differently, not to give them too much credence, but not to completely dismiss them. Yeah, it sounds like the old idea of just ignoring them isn't going to work. So we have to find a new way to engage with conspiracy theories to, you know, really allay people's fears and what they're feeling at the moment. Tomorrow on The Briefing, why is COVID-19 killing more men than women? And why do women live longer in general? That's coming up tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app or the Podcast One Australia app. And stay in touch with us on Instagram at The Briefing Podcast. Hope you have an amazing day. I'll speak to you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.